responsibility to help carry for one another. And that the purpose of Paul doing this is that we often find that we put the burdens on our backs and we leave our backpacks to the side and we end up depressed, empty, hungry, lonely, separated, disconnected because what was going to sustain us we set down in order to carry what we felt responsible for. And by the end of the journey, we look at the burden that we started with and the burden that we finished with, and it's almost always the same shift, that it goes from a movement to help those around us and ourselves, maybe investing in someone whose voice isn't heard, and by the end of the journey, without taking our backpack, we end up burdened with shame. And that we carry the shame that we weren't enough, We couldn't fix the problem. The relationship is broken. It's severed. It didn't work. Because our burdens were never really sustainable in the first place. And we ended up feeling the need to carry something. We're not sure where our backpack is. And so we just carry shame. And we carry it until we can't anymore. And it's usually in that moment that we meet Jesus again for the first time and he says I never asked you to carry that I can take that here's your backpack let's refill it again together and it's out of that hope that I want to talk through chapter 2 of Galatians and I encourage you if there's a Bible close to you read this one with me because I want you to see and engage in the words from the story that we go through, we've said it probably from a, from a stage a million times if, if you're in ministry of like, this is the message for just a perfect time. And in a week where there was a stadium full of people with a perspective, in a week where we ended in tragedy and loss from another shooting, In a week where Twitter exploded again, in a week where, dot, dot, dot for you, it's always a timely message, what we're about to read. There is no moment where the message of inclusion and freedom in Christ and the authentic gospel doesn't work. So it's always a great week for us to talk about the freedom that is Christ and that is the focus of Galatians Two is the idea that the gospel of Jesus is the gospel that brings freedom through Christ and does not enslave others. Which then would contend that any gospel that does enslave others and does boast of prejudice is not the gospel of Jesus. I could just be done now. We could just go home. Because that sounds really good to me. What was tough for me is that this week, I felt like I was the face of prejudice, that I carried it because I set my own backpack of who I am in Christ and what was going on around me down somewhere, and I picked up someone else's, and I tried to carry it for them. It was Tuesday, 
Tuesday is normally my favorite day of the work week because I get to go to a program where I see a few of my favorite teenagers. We've seen a lot of progress over the last two years. Their stories are some of the hardest stories that I have ever listened to and watched play out in front of me. These young men live in one of the the most impoverished neighborhoods in Cincinnati. If you've watched the news recently, the majority of shootings that have happened have happened on a four block radius of their houses. They've lost friends. They've seen parents of their friends arrested for those shootings. They're carrying all of this. And yet they just continue to thrive and persevere through the summer. Every time I see one of these Young men, they've got another little nugget of truth, or what I believe is, is the greatest win is, they've got this, this piece of laughter that they want to share. There's this joy in the midst of hardship that they want to tell me something funny that happened to them or to one of their friends, and they want to celebrate it in community. I love Tuesdays. I love hanging out on Tuesdays. I love seeing whatever adventure is going to come next, but I did not like this last Tuesday. This last Tuesday, my friends were met with some new friends. And these new friends were all wearing matching white t-shirts and they had blue handkerchiefs in their pocket or a blue rag around their head. And they showed up on this street and they decided to play basketball and to hang out and to incite whatever cultural norms they believed to be needed into the community that I was serving. I had to leave early before it was even finished, and the next morning, the team of adults that volunteer with me said, did you see that crew, their words weren't crew, did you see that gang that had white shirts and matching blue handkerchiefs, and what they did to the kids in the program? All of them were triggered. We had three fights in 15 minutes. Everyone was dispersed to home. We shut the program down early, all because of four people. And then Wednesday happened. By Wednesday, one of the boys that I hang out with had come to me and said, my phone's not working. Can you help me fix my camera? And as I pull up the camera to try to do some work on it, I look and I'm like, what is that video? And he's like, uh, I'm not sure if you want to watch that. And I said, but can I? Yeah. Push play. Same four boys in the background, but in this one, my boy, my man, is in the middle. And he's got a smaller kid, and he is throwing punches on him. And I look over, and he's like, look, I won. Would you normally just walk down the street and fight this kid? He's like, no, but these new guys were telling me that he's been talking about me. Narrative starts to change, and I'm seeing the kid that I've been investing in for two years standing in the middle of a street beating up a kid way smaller than him. And to give you the full depiction at the end of the video another kid rides up on his bicycle and one of the kids that's wearing the handkerchief reaches out and grabs the front tire and flips him off of it and then the video goes black like that's that's what I'm seeing by Thursday I pull up to bring another 
one of my friends to the program that we serve in, and I look over, and there's my boy wearing the same handkerchief around his head. It was a rough week because I watched story start to change, and I learned something. And I think it's what we'll learn as we go through this passage about ourselves. Beginning of chapter 2 in Galatians, didn't happen in the same neighborhood, but it has a little bit of the same feel. If you've caught up on this story the last couple of weeks, you know that by this point in chapter 2, Paul is he's starting to wrap his own narrative up as he writes a letter to this church or group of churches And he's established who he is. Yes, I am the same one who used to kill you people. Yes, I am the one who authorized the murder of Stephen. Yes, everything changed. And I've been hovering out in these these areas around Jerusalem, not really interested in going to the religious hub of this new movement that is being called Christ followers or Christianity that we would call it later. I haven't gone to the hub but once. Three years into my journey in following Jesus, I went to Jerusalem and I hung out with Peter for a couple of weeks to see, are we kind of doing the same thing? Are we on the same page? I wonder if there's some intentionality that Paul has heard the story of Peter because Peter received in the book of Acts, we know he received a vision to take the gospel into communities that lived outside of Jewish thought. He had this first vision, so it makes sense to me that if Paul goes into Jerusalem, he's going, what would be the best case for me to have a conversation around the gospel outside of the framework of Judaism, oh, it's got to be Peter, because I've heard he had a dream, and he went to Cornelius's house, like everyone tells that story, that he went to the house of Cornelius, and that this whole house was baptized, and that Peter had a vision that he was eating food that Jews don't normally eat, I should go to his house, and he spends two weeks in his house, whatever happens, happens. And leads him to not want to go back for 14 years. I don't know if you've ever had one of those vacations. That at the end of two weeks you're going, yeah, I could live without ever going back there. It seems that Paul is coming into chapter 2 with that attitude of for 14 years. Later I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. Really important there that Paul's community has expanded. He has Barnabas, very Jewish name, more than likely a follower of Yahweh, a Hebrew scholar, knows what he's doing when he is considered the Torah and what is being ushered in by the teaching of Jesus. So this is a guy who knows Jewish thought and he has partnered with Paul and he's going, yes, 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 yes. And then Titus, not a Jewish name. A Greek name looks like a man who would be from outside of the same thought. And so Paul's community has expanded beyond Jerusalem for sure. Because this was a council of Jews figuring out Jesus. And Paul 14 years later is saying, yeah, we figured Jesus out way beyond just spending time with Jews. Meet my friend Titus. And he says he goes to Jerusalem in response to a revelation 
that Jesus shared with him, and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I did this privately to those who seemed to be the leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. I'm going to pause there. This is the invitation of the message. You are invited to test your gospel. You're invited to test your gospel. That Jesus was very clear to Paul, I want you to test your gospel. I want you to make sure that what you are saying is good news to the world around you is the good news. And you are going to do that by going to those who also claim the same good news as you. And you are going to see how your good news stands up when you have a conversation with their good news. Now that's where it gets absolutely messy and the rest of this chapter is going to fall out to see who had the proof of the really good news. Because Paul says, I went to Jerusalem to find those who were in authority over the message that had been told to us. I could list a lot of church leaders in 2019 who believe they have the, the authority over the good news that has been told to us. And he's like, I don't know who they are. I don't have a really personal relationship with them. But this is who I believe is in charge of navigating the gospel in Jerusalem. So I'm going to go to them, and I'm going to present to them, and I'm going to bring Barnabas, because he's got a good story, and I'm going to bring Titus, because he has a good story, and we're going to share the story of the gospel, and we're going to see if it works in Jerusalem, because this feels like where it started. This feels like where it's the epicenter of the gospel of Jesus. Let's go test our gospel. And so the invitation for us is that Jesus is okay for us testing the gospel. Not only whether we believe it, but also whether or not the one that we're sharing is actually the one that he committed to through his life, death, and resurrection. And he invited Paul after 14 years of serving faithfully, hey, go test your good news. Make sure it's really good. Then it says in verse 3, yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. Here's the good news. The man who brought a different ethnic and cultural perspective into the story of Jesus was not condemned for his ethnic or cultural perspective, beliefs, or practices and was still fully following the gospel of this man who is called Christ. It did not demand that he go have surgery to match all the other Jewish boys in order to participate in the practice of this gospel. Titus had never felt from Paul or Barnabas that he needed to look like them, act like them, or have surgery to be like them in order to participate in their gospel. Insert 2019. That sometimes our gospel, when it is tested, it is going to come up wanting because we believe that there needs to be changes in ethnic or cultural contexts before or in order for you to get the good news. And Paul is being very clear. I want you to know we went to Jerusalem and after all of this discussion, Titus did not walk out of there and say, wow, they made a good point. I should go get that surgery. He walked out saying, we're good. We're good. I have no idea what kind of 
breath of relief, he said, when he said, we're good. Because as a grown man, the stories are, that would be brutal, that type of surgery. You could study that on your own. That's why we have Google. But he would go, I belong. I belong based on what we believe. Testing the gospel is to take it fully in and see when you present it, and then it is contended, given back to you, when you hear it resonate, that you say, oh wow, this really is good news. I'm good. I'm good based on Jesus alone. I'm good based on my faith in who he says he was and what he did. It did not depend on whether or not my preferences changed. It didn't depend on my skin color. It didn't depend on what neighborhood I grew up in. It didn't depend on what I was taught about sexuality. It didn't depend on that. What it depended on was how much I understood the context of what Jesus came to do, did, and is now doing. That was it. That, I'm cool with that good news. I like it. I'm not sure if you're good with it or not. But the perspective that Titus brought into his relationship with Jesus was allowed to remain in a relationship with Jesus because the important part of the gospel is the relationship with Jesus. The other stuff didn't come to play. But then the story turns. It says that this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. I went to Jerusalem, says Paul, partly because Jesus revealed this is the only way to get through this. And secondarily, because there were some people that had come to our town and they were telling all of my friends and all of the community that I love and am investing in this freedom that you're experiencing isn't true and you need to come under the law of the Torah. We need to go backward. The law is going to save you. And so powerful of a statement. People came into our neighborhood and they told us the freedom that we were experiencing was against what we needed to do and they were trying to make us slaves. And I needed to know where the gospel was. There is no place in the gospel of Jesus Christ for any mandate or statement or bylaw or rule or regulation or tweet. No matter how high the official or how important the pastor that embraces slavery. We need to consider this. Because this was the test. Does it enslave people? If so... Let's make sure we have the gospel. Paul says, we did not give in to them or for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. We were not going to back off that everyone belongs in this gospel. It then goes into the next few verses where he sets the story up. The people that were there. James, John, Peter, all of the ones who were really wise and understanding, men who had walked with Jesus, they were there when Paul made this presentation, when Titus came up and said, hey, I haven't been circumcised, what do you do with me? When all of these debates and discussions had happened, this is who was there, and these were the men who had the voice, the one who had the vision that we should take the message to those who don't belong to our tribe. He was there. The one whom said he was Jesus' beloved follower, he was there. The one who was the brother of Jesus, he, he was there. These, 
these men were there and they were the ones listening and the greatest piece of wisdom that they came out of in response to the gospel, and some of us are sitting in the same spot today, is that they said, we find no fault in your good news. We believe that you should go and tell that gospel to those people and we're going to tell this gospel to these people. Can we shake on it? You are right, that is good news for them, but I'm not ready to participate in it yet. So I'm going to claim your good news is authentic, it is true, Jesus is in it, and you should go and tell that group of people about Jesus, because I'm not going to. I'll find my mission over here with this group of people. That's the landing. That's the statement. When you look at it, it says, they agreed, we should go to the Gentiles and they the Jews. But all that they asked was that they keep the main thing, the main thing. Just, just take care of the poor. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? Like, that's, that's your stamp at the end of this is, let's just make sure we're on the same page about one thing. We all take care of the poor. Paul's going, how can you follow Jesus and not? Like, we were already doing this, and we were already joyful about doing this. This wasn't a question about taking care of the poor from a poverty side of things, this was a question as to whether or not the poor get to eat at our table, at our houses, and does the food have to be kosher, or can it be something else? This wasn't about poverty. This was about equality. And they, in the end, were like, don't forget poverty. And Paul's going, yeah, I never did. Maybe someday you'll find equality, right, on his way out. But in this narrative, something, something stirred in Peter again. The guy who got the vision, the one whom Paul had spent a couple of weeks with. And in the next verse in 11, it says, when Peter came to Antioch, he was either coming for two things, either something had started and he's like, man, I need to check this out. I want to see what this guy is doing. Maybe I am ready to test it a little bit. Or he was so frustrated with him that he was going to prove, hey, you're no better than me. You're going to come to the same conclusion I did. We get a vision, animals come down from heaven, we go to a house, we have baptisms, we come back and we stay in Jerusalem. Your story needs to match my story in order for it to be God's story. That's possible. That Peter was going to prove his own value by seeing Paul's story and going, no, there's no reason that you're doing this better than me. Because he needed to validate the burden that he had been given when he saw that vision, but then had turned into shame for him. Because Peter didn't go. He went to a house for one family and then went back and spent time with Jews. He didn't go. And he carried that. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Avengers Civil War. Or what is that? Captain America. So right here. Iron Man versus Captain America. Happening on the streets of Antioch. Peter, pretty strong personality. Paul, really strong personality. And they are having a verbal war on the street where Paul says, I am opposing you to your face. You are a hypocrite. This is what you did. Before certain men came from James, <laughs> the influencer, James sent his boys to follow up on Peter to make sure he didn't get lost. He used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. 
The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. And this is how powerful it was. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas, 14 years with Paul and a couple of weeks with Peter and James followers. And Barnabas is back making rules around who can eat at the table in the house. He's gone. Because it was the court of public opinion was so heavy on what the good news was and what the gospel could look like that Peter comes in and he feels the freedom of this community around Christ with Paul and he's welcoming people over to his house. But then he gets the word, oh, James's boys are coming down. They're going to check on your message and then they're going to probably post that on Twitter. They're at least going to take an Instagram photo of you with non-Jews eating at your house. You better be careful. And he goes, okay, we need to stage this. Delete those four photos. Only put this one up. Look at us. Red hat with some words on it and we're good right we're back and Barnabas is like this is scary these are a lot of people we've never had this many people not like us before uh I'm back and he goes in too and Paul's response is to call out the hypocrisy of it of saying the person that you really are It's in there. You felt it. You felt fulfilled when you were with us and you were doing things. And it's these people. Why did you let these friends of James steal your backpack? Because they took it and with it, they took your value. And they showed up and said, look what we have. We have your value, your self-worth, and your purpose in our backpack. Would you like to come eat with us? Peter said, actually, I really liked this one over here. I thought I was filling myself up over here, but he'd left his backpack in Jerusalem. He was just eating to survive, not to thrive. So he takes it back on and says, I'll, I'll line back up. And Paul, thankful for Paul, that he is bold enough to say, wait, time out, time out, time out, Peter. Didn't it feel better when everyone belonged? Didn't it feel better when the conversations at this table, you were telling these men and women for the first time about Moses, for the first time in their lives about Daniel, not for the 400th time because they grew up in this system not knowing that this was ultimately about Jesus, but you could take your wisdom where you're from and you're sitting at a table where someone's going, wait a minute, tell me about the plagues. I didn't know about the plagues. Tell me, I I had not heard that story. Mind blown that there are people that have not heard that story. And Peter's going, yes, until his backpack showed up being carried by somebody else. And he went, oh, wait a minute, my value's over there. I need to go back there. Who can show up in your life and you change your belief system? Who can show up in your life and you change your gospel? You change what you believe about yourself and others. Who is it? that can show up and has so much power or influence that you stop being this amazing kingdom Jesus follower and you shift back to either lawlessness or legalism. Those are the two things that Paul addresses in this. Where do you shift back? To the old you that was enslaved. Because whoever that is, doesn't have any good news for you. They're just coming to rob and enslave. But it's time to ask for our backpack because we get to wear it. 
Paul then goes into a breakdown as to why this is foolishness, why the law doesn't work, why lawlessness doesn't work. And this is where he concludes at the end in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I'm not even here. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. He comes back to it, not just for Peter, not just for Barnabas, not for himself, but for us. That he comes back to it at the end and says, this is what I come back to. The grace of the Son of God through Christ in his crucifixion and resurrection brings me into righteousness. Not what I eat, not what I wear, not whether I am tattooed or not tattooed, not whether or not I drink coffee or I fast, because that's the only other option for me anyway. It's not about whether or not I understand the law and have fulfilled it, what I understand is the grace and the righteousness of the Son of God and what he is wanting to resurrect in my life so that it's not me that lives anymore. It's him who lives through me with everyone, together. That's how Paul lands. And yet, I am the face of prejudice. I feel more like Peter than I do Paul. I confess this to you today. Because I like showing up and I like playing basketball with my boys. And I like the stories that we tell. And I like them in the neighborhood that we're in. And I like the cookouts that we have and I like the excessive amount of bubble gum that we chew together. Thanks, Katie, for that. I like the runs to McDonald's that we make. I like watching high school boys just devour frappe after frappe while they tell me about their week. I like getting messages. Why? Why would you guys pick us? I like that. But what I don't like is when my boys are threatened or I sense that they are threatened and that their story starts to regress. I don't like it. So I take their backpacks off of them and I put them on me. And I judge guys wearing white shirts with blue handkerchiefs instead of giving them the exact grace and compassion and love that we gave my boys two years ago that changed their story to be where they are now. Because I have so much skin in the game with the boys that I care about that I forgot that somebody has to be that voice of grace and love and truth to the ones who look like a threat in order for them to lay that down. We have to carry the burden of the threat so that they can have the backpack of grace and love and compassion. But if we take their backpacks and say, well, let me tell you what you're worth. When you hang out with me, you're worth this. When you hang out with them, you're worth Worthless. I am Peter. And I can't go into this next week 
without the grace and mercy of Christ who will resurrect in me the same love for these new boys in the neighborhood that he gave me for these old boys in the neighborhood because that's the only time we win is when everyone belongs. So who offended you last week? Who frustrated you? Who overwhelmed you? And how did you respond? Because I acted a lot like Peter, the hypocrite, who loves the story of a few of these boys, but judges and condemns the story of a few others. But there's grace for me, and there's grace for us. Later in one of his writings to the church of Thessalonica, Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. He said, I've come to you to share not only the gospel, but our lives as well. The good news remains in every neighborhood in our city. When we not only want to share the story of this resurrected Christ who is continuing to resurrect us, but we want to share our lives as well. And not just with our friends, but with those we disagree with, with those who feel like a threat to us, and with those who don't even know that they could be part of this story. My job this week is to give my boys their backpacks and say, whatever you carry, you carry. But the burden of this neighborhood, that's on us. How do we carry that together? Because there are some new people in town and they need to belong to. Let's pray. Jesus, pray personally, give me the grace and the compassion and the love that I need in order to live out the belief that everyone belongs, even when my actions don't want to show that. And I pray for those of us in this room, if we have been prejudiced against because we haven't always fit the mold, I pray that you just renew our spirit and heal us for what has been done to us. For those of us carrying the shame of generations because we hear a story and we carry prejudice into that story because of where we've come from, I pray that you just remove the shame from us and I pray you give us the margin this week to tell our story so that we can find healing and resurrection in your good news. And in this city we claim a good news of freedom in Christ and that there would be no slavery here. It's in your name, amen.